What's up, beautiful people? Welcome back to the Made to Excel Fitness Podcast, a fitness podcast for you, by you. I'm your host, as always, Mark Torres. And in today's episode, episode 24, it is myth busting number four, and it's all about blood flow restriction training. What is it? How do you do it? Is it worth doing it? Is it something that you should add into your training repertoire? We're going to talk about all that. Uh, also, Q&A, how much water should you be drinking? And my fitness, Mount Rushmore. Let's talk about it all. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is Monday, August 17th. Welcome to the Made to Excel Fitness Podcast. Uh, this episode is another myth-busting episode, and I am happy to inform you guys that this is not a myth-busting episode that pertains to diet or nutrition in any way, shape, or form. Um, the first three were diet and nutrition focused. Um, and it makes sense because you know it seems like every other day there's a new diet fad, whether it be a supplement, a product, um, an ideology, somebody out there saying something crazy, whatever it is. Uh, so it seems like it happens far more often than it does in training, where there's a training fad. They uh, they come few and far between when it comes to pure just training. So this is a pure training episode. It is a good switch up. I'm happy to uh, not talk about diet and nutrition for one one episode right so uh, i'm i'm happy about that so uh blood flow restriction training is the topic of today's episode um and blood flow restriction training is something that was very popular you know maybe a year or two ago um steve cook he's a popular fitness youtuber he's got a video on it uh bradley martin also has a video on it also a popular fitness youtuber um sheamus the wwe wrestler has a workout channel on YouTube. He did a blood flow restriction workout with AJ Styles, another WWE wrestler. So this is something that has made the rounds on YouTube. It's something that has made the rounds in Hollywood, in athletics, in sports. Um, blood flow restriction is widely used. Um, if you go to YouTube and you Google, uh, <laughs> Google you YouTube blood flow restriction training, thousands and thousands of videos are going to pop up, right? So this is something uh, that has made the rounds on the internet. Um, and it seems like Mark Wahlberg, is trying to bring it back, right? So on his Instagram page, Mark Wahlberg has been really pushing this particular brand of blood flow restriction cuffs or wraps, whatever. Um, and I talked about it in episode 22, Marky Mark and the Phony Bunch. He posted a video on his Instagram in July where he's doing push-ups on a power plate. He's balancing one foot on an exercise ball. Um, he's got the blood flow restriction cuffs on his arms. And uh, that particular episode was all about the power plate and more like vibration training. Um, but this is the episode where I'm going to address the blood flow restriction cuffs. Um, and he's had them in many, many, many different videos, not just that one. Um, and I think in that video, he has them on his arms. I'll put a screenshot here so you guys can see it, but he has it on his arms. He might have him on his legs. Uh, I don't remember at this moment, but he definitely in other videos has him on his legs and his arms at the same time. So um, seems like Mark Wahlberg is really trying to push the narrative, trying to push the blood flow restriction back into the limelight. So we're going to talk about that in today's episode. So first and foremost, what is blood flow restriction training? It's kind of exactly how it sounds. Um, essentially, what you're doing is whatever muscle you're working out. This is something that is for hypertrophy, by the way. So you're trying to build muscle with blood flow restriction training. So whenever you're working out, um, you are trying to restrict the amount of blood that is leaving the working muscle by tying off a cuff or a wrap, uh, a blood flow restriction wrap at the top of the working muscle, right? So if I want to do bicep stuff, I want to tie whatever wrap 
I have at the top of the bicep, right? So right under the shoulder, right at the top of the bicep where the bicep starts. You don't want to put it in the middle. You don't want to put it at the bottom because it doesn't work as well. It doesn't work the same. You want to put it at the very top. So you're trying to restrict the blood, leaving the working muscle. So depending on what blood flow restriction straps you buy, there's specific blood flow restriction straps that have like a buckle, they have a tightening mechanism. Some are maybe like ratchet straps or you can like tie them down. Other people will just use knee sleeves, like the sleeves that they use for squatting, and they'll just tie them off at whatever muscle they're using. Um, and then there's really, really fancy, expensive blood flow restriction wraps that are like blood pressure cuffs, right? You can fill them up with air. Uh, that way you can start to cut off your little bit of that circulation. So whenever you're working out, muscles require oxygen um, in order to perform a movement. So if you're doing a bicep curl, your blood flow is constantly circulating throughout your body, but once you start doing the bicep curl, your body says, oh shit, the biceps need some oxygen. Let's send some oxygen their way. And they do that by uh, sending blood into the bicep. So by restricting the amount of blood leaving, you're creating kind of a pooling effect where blood stays in the bicep versus you know kind of going in and going out um, constantly, right? And you're trying to restrict about 50 to 80% of the blood from leaving the bicep, right? You don't want to go 100% because you're going to cut off circulation completely, uh, and that's no bueno, right? You get no oxygen to the, you know, if you're doing biceps to the bottom of your arm, right? Shoulder, shoulder up is good, shoulder down, not so good, right? So you're trying to restrict 50 to 80%, um, and essentially what you're doing is you're creating this pooling effect um, where more blood stays in the bicep, um, and it kind of feels like you're filling a water balloon and you fill it to capacity right before it pops, right? Obviously, you don't want your bicep to pop. That doesn't sound very fun, but um, you're trying to create this pump, right? If you have ever done weightlifting, if you've ever um, been in the gym and you've lifted weights, you probably know what the pump feels like. Um, some places, you know, you can feel the pump a little easier than others. Biceps being, you know, kind of the most easy, uh, the easiest place to feel the pump. Um, but a lot of you guys probably know what that feels like. Um, if you've ever seen Pumping Iron, you know exactly how Arnold Schwarzenegger feels about the pump. Uh, if you want to Google what he says about the pump, I'm not going to say it in this particular podcast episode. Uh, you're on your own with that. Um, but you're trying to feel a pump, right? And obviously, you're not doing this. You're not going out of your way to blood flow restriction training just to feel the pump. You want to actually build muscle, right? So what is the mechanism behind building muscle when it comes to uh, blood flow restriction training? So um, when it comes to building muscle, it's kind of this equation, right? You've got muscle protein synthesis where you're creating muscle, muscle protein breakdown where muscle's breaking down. Obviously, if you want to build muscle, you want more synthesis and less breakdown. If there's more synthesis than breakdown, muscle building is occurring. But if there's more breakdown than synthesis, obviously you're losing muscle, right? If you stop working out, um, you, you know, you're you not in the gym for whatever reason, you're not doing any workouts at home, your muscle is going to start to atrophy, right? Atrophy is the opposite of hypertrophy. Hypertrophy is building muscle. Atrophy is losing muscle, right? So if you have more muscle breakdown, if you stop working out or whatever, um, then there is muscle synthesis. You're going to start to atrophy. You're going to start to lose muscle. So you want to have more synthesis than breakdown. Um, and this is from the barbellphysio.com. Uh, is a great physical therapy website if you want to check them out for any particular reason. But they had an article about blood flow restriction training, and it says delayed or <laughs> during BFR, which is blood flow restriction, measures of muscle damage such as creatine kinase, lipid peroxides, torque output of muscles, and delayed onset muscle soreness (DOMS) are minimally elevated, meaning in our muscle growth formula we don't have muscle protein breakdown. So I don't know if they're suggesting that there's no muscle protein breakdown that's going on. Um, or it's just very minimal, right? Um, I don't know exactly, but it seems like 
in this particular equation where we have synthesis and breakdown, there's very little uh, breakdown happening, which is a good thing. And then they go on to say that in muscle protein synthesis, when you're using the blood flow restriction bands, you're using your type two muscle fibers, which are the bigger muscle fibers, um, and you're essentially elevating, uh, I think it says here by 170% growth hormone secretion is higher when you're doing blood flow restriction training versus regular training. Um, so you're essentially boosting the muscle protein synthesis part of it and have a very little muscle protein breakdown. So this all sounds very great, right? You have a lot of muscle protein synthesis and very little breakdown, which is a recipe for fantastic, fantastic muscle growth, right? Which is obviously what we're striving for in this particular situation, right? I want to try blood flow restriction because I want to get huge. Um, and then this article also says in typical training, you have to lift at least 65% of your one rep max in order to elicit a hypertrophic response. But with blood flow restriction, you can, you can, you can create the same response with 20 to 30% of your one rep max load, right? So um, in, a, in a regular training program, you've got at least hit 65% of your one rep max. So if you're a bench press, if you're going to bench press and your one rep max is 100 pounds, if you're training without the blood flow restriction bands, you should be hitting at least 65 pounds in your training whenever you're just going to the gym and bench pressing in order to try to elicit a hypertrophic response, right? In order to try to build muscle, you can't be doing a really light load because it's not going to tax your muscles enough. You've got to be hitting at least 65 pounds, which is 65% of 100 pounds, right? And obviously that varies from person to person. Different, different people have different one rep maxes. But in that same particular scenario, if you were to bench press with the blood flow restriction cuffs on, you can do 20 to 30 pounds total and have the same response as if you were to do 65 pounds on the bench press if your bench press one rep max was 100 pounds, which is a massive, massive difference, right? 65 pounds versus 20 to 30 pounds. So um, obviously, pretty much the whole premise behind the blood flow restriction is that you can get the same response with a low amount of weight as you do with a high amount of weight. So obviously, uh, as you're listening to this right now, you're like, that sounds fantastic. That's... <laughs> Why would I not do that, right? Um, and this is the finicky thing about science, right? That's one particular website that says that. Um, but if you kind of go and you do a little deeper digging, there's another study that took a group that did blood flow restriction training. Another group just did regular moderately heavy training. Another group did light low training. Uh, and there was a control group. And participants in the resistance training programs performed 20 training sessions across eight weeks three times per week on non-consecutive days, so there was rest in between. If a participant was unable to attend a scheduled training session, the session was completed elsewhere within the training week, thus compliance to the 20 training sessions across weeks, across eight weeks was 100%. All training sessions comprised of three lower body exercises and three upper body exercises, and then it kind of goes on to specific workouts and things that they did. There was tempo things um, that they were specifically training uh, across all three working out working groups uh, and of course there was a control group um, so when they looked at upper body and lower body strength all three training groups the blood flow restriction group the moderately heavy load group and the light load group all increase in strength um, but the blood flow restriction and the light load training group increased about the same amount but the moderately heavy training group increased by a significantly um, more amount when it comes to um, their strength right so um, in terms of total tonnage, how much weight they were able to lift, blood flow restriction after the eight weeks increased by 11%. Light load training increased by 12%. So those are very similar. But moderately heavy load training group 
whatever group was training with moderately heavy weights increased by 21%, right? So 11 and 12% is obviously fantastic. That's an increase in total tonnage, just an increase in the amount of weight that you can lift. That's obviously great. But when it came to the moderately heavy lifting group, they increased by, you know, almost double that number, which is a pretty significant amount, right? Um, depending on the actual amount of weights, it might only be a few pounds, but um, 21% versus 11% is a big difference. When it came to body composition, the body composition improved uh, across all three groups, but it is very similar between the three groups. Um, and then after the eight weeks were done, they had four weeks of detraining. They didn't do anything, and they just wanted to see how much strength um, they kept after four weeks of not doing anything. Um, and after detraining, only the moderately heavy load group had a higher number of maintained strength. It seems like blood flow restriction and light load training lost a lot of strength. Um, Obviously, the moderately heavy group also lost strength, but they lost less strength than the other two groups, right? So, depending on what you look at, depending on what article you read, um, and when I was doing research for this particular episode, there's a lot of articles out there, there's a lot of research papers um, that show good things about blood flow restriction training, and then you come across this study, and it says maybe, you know, it's still good, it's still doing something, but it, you know, it's not as good as moderately heavy loading regular exercise so um it just depends on what you want to do right this is a scenario where um the buy-in cost for blood flow restriction training is not a whole lot right you can get blood flow restriction costs for like 20 bucks um if you get the really expensive ones that have the uh you know like the blood pressure thing that fills up the cuff um, and do that, that could run you several hundreds of dollars, but of course you don't have to go that path. So the buy-in to try blood flow restriction training is very, very little. Um, whether or not, depending on what scientific study you want to go with, might seem like it has merit and others don't seem as much. And that's going to be the, the case across all of these different myth-busting topics. There's going to be conflicting um, studies and comp- conflicting kind of narratives across the board, no matter what no, you no matter what uh, what topic it is, but when it comes to something like, you know, uh, that pyramid scheme topic, that pyramid scheme product that I talked about over the past few episodes, the buy-in for that is a hundred dollars um, a month, right? Essentially, I think that whatever product it is lasts for a month. So you're paying you're paying a hundred dollars a month for something that's not going to work. Blood flow restriction doesn't seem like it's completely necessary. It might not work for you, but the buy-in is a one-time $20 buy-in. So if you do want to try blood flow restriction training, which I'm not saying that you have to, I'm not saying that you need to, I'm not saying that you should, but if you listen to this and you're like, there's some good information out there and you look into it, you're like, there's some good information out there that suggests I might want to try this, the buy-in is only a one-time $20 buy-in. So it's not like one of those things where it's like, avoid this at all costs. If you want to look into it more and you want to try to do this going into the future, that's completely up to you, and that's your decision to make. Um, and the other thing to kind of address is the fact that there's a lot of studies that have been done as for the impact that blood flow restriction training could possibly have on somebody like recovering from injury, right? You're recovering from an injury, whatever the injury is, you cannot handle the loads that you were handling before, right? So in that one particular study, the moderately heavy training group did the best across all metrics, but if you can't do moderately heavy training for whatever reason because you hurt yourself, you could potentially blood flow restrict train um, 
and try to see if that helps, right? Try to see if you can elicit some better responses than if you were just to do um, the light loads that you're able to handle after a particular injury, right? And this is not something, um, by the way, if you are going to do blood flow restriction training, do your research. This is not something that's like, um, you know, wear the cuffs the entire time and do your entire workout. This is more like a do your normal workout and then maybe do a blood flow restriction finisher. Just pick a few exercises to do uh, with the cuffs on. Um, this is not something that you wear your entire workout you know um this is like towards the end maybe a few workouts if you want to uh focus on a specific area you can do that as well so blood flow restriction training by far and away not a necessary thing to do um don't go out and buy blood flow restriction training cuffs just because if you think it's something that might work for you if you think it's something that you're interested in trying you've been in the gym a lot and you haven't seen the progress that you wanted to see um and you want to try something new twenty dollar buy-in not so big of a leap um, that if it doesn't work, you feel like you got cheated out of money. So uh, just be cautious, whatever. This is kind of one of those things where um, training fads pop up all the time, right? And you'll see which ones work and which ones don't because of the longevity of them, right? A couple years ago, the zero gravity training masks or the low gravity training masks were super popular. There was one kid uh, at the college that I went to who was wearing one of these masks all the time when he was working out guess what he looked like a fucking idiot um, <laughs> um he looked super dumb wearing it and people definitely stared at him um and obviously that's not something that took off you don't go to the gym now and you see people wearing these zero gravity training masks or low gravity training masks high altitude masks that's what i meant um the high altitude masks um you don't see people wearing them because they don't work and they kind of came and went um you know so the one kid that was lifting at the school that I was going to, uh, I'm sure he wore that a couple times, um, and then the novelty wore off, and he never used it again. Same thing with like arm blasters, right? Arm blasters were super popular for a extended period of time. It's kind of this thing that went over your shoulders. It was like this um, leather kind of strap here, and essentially you were holding it in place, and you would do bicep curls like that, and it kind of held you in position, right? Arm blasters were super popular because it was something that fitness influencers could monetize. They could take a simple cheap piece of leather stick their name on it stick their logo on it and now they have a new training implement a new training tool that's exciting for people that haven't seen it before to buy from this particular person and guess what nobody uses arm blasters anymore so um, obviously not something that was worth using not something that was worth anybody's time um, so blood flow restriction cuffs it's completely up to you i'm not going to say it's a myth to be busted i'm not going to say it has merit it's very much so in the middle this is 100 percent an opinion based on something that you should make um if you want to try it give it a shot if not not the end of the world you're definitely not going to lose out on any gains at least i don't think um so that about wraps up that portion of the show blood flow restriction training try it if you want not necessary q a so we've got two questions here First question, I recently bought one of those big-ass water bottles from Amazon, and I struggled to finish it. Do I really need to drink that much water? Um, so depending on who you ask, depending on what you Google, you're going to get a myriad of different answers as it pertains to how much water you should be drinking. Some people will give you a number, uh, a, a number of ounces that you should be drinking an hour. Some people will do it by when you're working out, you're going to lose water weight when you're working out. So drink, you know, X amount per pound of body weight that you use or that you lose when you're working out. Some people will just straight up say, just drink a gallon and you're good. Um, now, the good thing about water intake, unlike diet, unlike training, um, 
those things take a very long time to know if you're doing things correctly, right? The process is very slow. So you can be on a diet, you can be on a training program for several weeks before you know if it has an impact or not. When it comes to water, we have an immediate response, immediate feedback mechanism, right? You go to the bathroom, you go pee, you look in the toilet. If your urine looks like radioactive Mountain Dew, you probably need to drink more water. Um, if you're urinating a lot and it looks like water, it looks like you're drinking the water and the water is just coming right out, you can absolutely be overhydrated um, and you should cut back on the water a little bit. So we have that immediate response, that immediate feedback mechanism um, that's called the toilet. The toilet's really useful in this particular situation. So um, if your pee is like a faint yellow, that's a good place to be. If your pee looks orange, drink some more water. If it's too white, drink less water. Um, don't get so caught up in the numbers. Don't get so caught up in the amounts. Just use the toilet as your measuring tool for how much water you should be drinking. Last but not least, what is your fitness Mount Rushmore? So this is a fantastic question. Um, my fitness Mount Rushmore. So I had three immediately. The fourth one I had struggle, kind of struggled to kind of figure out. So the first person on my fitness Mount Rushmore is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that's a cheap and easy answer. Um, but Arnold is just that guy, right? When it comes to bodybuilding, he is the sport of bodybuilding. Um, if you ask somebody on the street who has no fitness knowledge whatsoever, if they know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is, there's a pretty good likelihood that they do. Um, Arnold, aside from being the second most winning uh, Mr. Olympia competitor, was you know a blockbuster actor. The motherfucking governor of California, like who does that? Um, you know, obviously an author, a million different things. So Arnold really was the guy that transcended the sport of bodybuilding to the point he has his own fitness convention now. That's probably the second fitness convention in the world, just next to the Olympia. So um, obviously you can't have a fitness Mount Rushmore without Arnold on it. Um, person number two on my fitness Mount Rushmore, Ronnie Coleman. Um, Ronnie Coleman, I talked about. Uh, a few episodes back, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, but Ronnie Coleman is tied for the most Olympia wins, so uh, he has more Olympia wins than Arnold does. Arnold has seven, Ronnie has eight, um, but it's just the way that Ronnie Coleman changed the way of, or changed the sport of bodybuilding. If you look at the bodybuilders prior to Ronnie Coleman and after Ronnie Coleman, you'll see a distinct difference, right? Ronnie Coleman was really the one person that ushered in the mass monster era on his own back. Like, that was just him. And to the point where he got too big and he had to come down. Um, so, Ronnie Coleman really changed the sport of bodybuilding uh, in a big, big way. Um, he was a, one of the singular shifters of the sport um and the way that he trained he trained heavy he trained like a power lifter all throughout his career he was a cop like this dude is just a like he's just a walking personality uh all his sayings and all these things um you know yeah buddy ain't nothing but a peanut all these different things um makes him a legend makes him uh somebody who's going to live in the fitness space in the fitness world forever and ever and ever people are always going to remember ronnie coleman um when it comes to fitness Person number three on my fitness Mount Rushmore is where I might lose a few people because um, person number three is Rich Froning. Um, Rich Froning, you guys may or may not know who he is, is a CrossFit competitor, CrossFit champion. Um, he won CrossFit Games 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. So he won four in a row dominantly. Um, one of the first people, I think the games were a little bit different 
in the early days prior to 2011. 2011 um, was the first year that it kind of looks the way it looks now. Um, so he won four years in a row, was dominant, stepped away from the singular, from the uh, solo training, the solo competing part of the sport and said i'm going to start to compete with my team uh and then won four years with his team right four out of five years i think there was one year where they finished in second so this is a guy who walked away from the sport of crossfit at the top at the apex of his power at the apex of his fame and said i'm going to go um start my own team and we're going to compete as a team which is amazing so um when it comes to crossfit rich froning is like the michael jordan of crossfit and if you ask me if Rich Froning is still on the Mount Rushmore of fitness a few years from now. He might be surpassed by Matt Frazier, right? Matt Frazier already has four CrossFit Championship wins. Also completely dominant um, under his belt, and he's still young, and he can go on to continue to win more and more and more. So eventually, you know, this is like a Rich Froning is the Michael Jordan, and Matt Frazier is the LeBron James, but LeBron James might surpass Michael Jordan in this situation. Um, so for right now, Rich Froning still up there, still competing in the t- in the team the team aspect of it, right? Um, which is just amazing. Uh, seems like a really good guy, an ambassador for the sport. So Rich Froning is number three on my fitness Mount Rushmore. Uh, and last but not least, this is the one I struggle with because I really wanted to have somebody that embodies fitness in the age of 2020, right? Fitness in the 21st century. So I really wanted to put like an influencer on here, a YouTuber on here. But every name I could think of didn't seem worthy to be on there with Arnold and Ronnie um, and even Rich. So eventually it came to me and it came to me and it was so obvious that person number four on my fitness Mount Rushmore is C.T. Fletcher. So C.T. Fletcher, for those who don't know, uh, is an old school bodybuilding powerlifter type. But he took his talents and he went to YouTube and he's been one of the most motivational people as it pertains to fitness on YouTube ever, right? The Compton Superman, sidewalk cracking dude, um, you know, just all his sayings, uh, the way he motivates people. Um, I remember in college doing CT Fletcher arm workouts, the tricep gauntlet, which I've put um, some colleagues through at work um, <laughs> and they were struggling to do it. Um, just CT Fletcher is just like, one of the guys that transcends the old school nature of fitness into the new world. He went to YouTube. Um, a guy who's had many health problems because of the way that he lived his life early on in the powerlifting days. He was just just taking down McDonald's um, all the time. He had multiple heart attacks. I think he's flatlined a bunch of times. So he's literally died and come back. Um, and he was in a really bad spot a few years ago. But guess what? This dude has a show on the Spartan Race YouTube channel um, as it pertains to fitness. So he's still kicking it, still doing the thing. Uh, it's still your motherfucking set. Um, that's C.T. Fletcher right there. Uh, one of the guys that just seems like he belongs up there on the Mount Rushmore of fitness. Um, so that's it. The Mount Rushmore fitness. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ronnie Coleman, Rich Froning, C.T. Fletcher. I'm curious to see how similar or dissimilar your guys' um, fitness Mount Rushmores are. So if you're on YouTube, let me know in the comments below what your fitness Mount Rushmore would be. Um, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, go to YouTube and leave a comment and tell me what your fitness Mount Rushmore would be uh, and let me know. But those are the two Q&A questions. Uh, and last but not least, the weekly follow-up. So the weekly follow-up is all about episode 23, which is about getting strong. I reviewed three of the most popular strength building programs that are out there. Um, and I'm sorry for anybody who didn't really 
care about that episode because it was like I listened back to it and it was boring me, right? There was like too much information there. Um, I was just going through sets and reps, sets and reps. Um, it was kind of a boring episode, but really the main thing that I wanted to kind of convey there is the fact that there's this stigma behind strength. There's a stigma behind being strong, um, but being strong is for everybody, right? It doesn't have to be uh, um, the thing that you think of, um, and it seems like being strong is not so much people's priority, right? Anybody who wants to get into fitness, they want to do it to lose weight. They want to do it to build muscle, but nobody thinks about getting strong, and getting strong is obviously something that um, can be so beneficial in everybody's day-to-day life, so um, I just wanted to emphasize the importance of being strong, having strength, um, and the other thing about that episode was I talked about in the Made to Excel Fitness University of Hard Knocks of Common Sense, the YouTube beef between Coach Greg and Abby Sharp, um, and I got so deep into the semantics of like who, like each argument side, that it might have convoluted the overall premise a little bit, but pretty much I was using these two people as kind of benchmarks for the two opposite sides of coaching styles i don't know if there actually are or not because i don't i've never had them as coaches but essentially there's going to be coaches out there that are very militant they're very strict they're in your face they want everything to be 100 percent perfect and there's coaches out there that are going to be softer right they're going to be more compassionate they're going to let you get away with things um and there's coaches that are in the middle right they have a little bit of both so it seems like the very militant strict coach is somebody that's going to get you great results but you might be miserable doing it and the really soft coach might be somebody that you really enjoy working with because you can get away with a lot but you might not make the progress that you would make with the militant coach right and it's just something where you've got to think about what your personal preference for coaching style is um if you really need somebody to kick your ass into gear maybe somebody more on the militant side is somewhere is kind of where you need to go of course you don't have to go that far you can find people that are good at holding people accountable but in a way that's uh compassionate in a way that's not going to um fuck you up psychologically which is super important the psychology of fitness is super important so just knowing um and recognizing the different coaching styles out there uh is super important but that about wraps up today's show if you enjoyed the show subscribe to the show subscribe wherever you're listening to apple podcast spotify youtube wherever uh leave me a comment leave me a review share the episode with somebody who you think might enjoy it if you're on youtube let me know what your about rushmore would have been um click on the two videos the related videos i think you would enjoy them subscribe to my youtube channel uh follow me on instagram at mte fit follow me on tiktok at mte fit if you have any q a questions that you want me to answer on the show send me a dm or email me at made to excel fitness at gmail.com I appreciate and love you all. I'll see you in the next one. Peace. What's up, Mark? How you doing, man? Hunter Henry, LA Charger tight end. Uh, best big time shout out to your uh, fitness podcast, the Made to Excel Fitness Podcast. So um, super cool, man. You got a lot going on. Bolt ganger, don't bang.